Hi, welcome back to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and holidays are upon us, but we're still managing to work in a few good reads. Holiday reading may be the best reading. <laughs> I don't get to do that much of it, but yeah. I think I say that about every season. That's a good point, too. <laughs> good time to read. We read very differently um, over these past two weeks. Why don't you start and tell us what you've been reading? Well, I did finally finish The Baseball 100 by Joe Posnanski. And I did start it, and it is so far... You're on like number 98 or something, I think. Uh, I'm one S-A-N, but the yeah. introduction was magnificent. Oh, it's, it's a great book. Um, I think I'm really going to enjoy it, too. Yeah, I'm. you know, I talked about it last time, but... Joe Poznanski, great sports writer, did 100 essays on the, the greatest baseball players ever. And Joe, as a writer, his strength is just finding that story that exists in every life and, and telling it in a compelling way. He wrote these for The Athletic during the COVID pandemic, and it was one of those things where I and probably hundreds, if not thousands of other people said, wow, this would make a great book. And about halfway through, he's like, you know, maybe it would. So, <laughs> so he did it, and... My favorite baseball book of the year, I think it's probably safe to say, and probably one of my favorite books, period. Just so many, so many good stories. Oh, after every one, you would say, that's the best essay. Yeah, yeah, don't make me pick. I mean, no, yeah. couldn't do it. So. I don't expect to enjoy it as much as you did, just because I don't have the baseball history that you do, and stats bog me down. Um, but he is a master at telling stories, and that's why I have thoroughly enjoyed it so far. Yeah, I, I think he'll use that stuff in passing. I mean, if you understand the stats, all the better. But if you don't, I don't think it's going to interfere with your enjoyment. But anyway, love that one. Finished Carnival Campaign. And it has a long subtitle I'm trying to get. The, how the rollicking 1840 campaign of Tippecanoe and Tyler II <laughs> changed presidential <laughs> elections forever. Rollicking campaign. Rollicking. It was rollicking. <laughs> Ronald Schaefer uh, chronicles it. I didn't, this was my William Henry Harrison biography. So I cheated a little bit here uh, because the problem with William Henry Harrison is he was president for 30 days. So honestly, a book about how he was elected, really, that's about all there is to say about him as a president anyway. He, yeah, that makes sense. He literally wasn't president long enough to do anything except get sick and die. So Depressing. how he got there was interesting. And, and it was a very interesting campaign. Um, Kind of the first modern politicking in many ways. The great thing, uh, they they must be giants. Did a uh, a wonderful version of the Tippecanoe and Tyler Two song, and if you listen to it, you too will walk around with the <laughs> lyrics blazing in your mind. And with mm -hmm. him, they'll beat little Van. Van Van is a used up man. And okay, Martin, don't just stop. That's enough. Martin Van Buren was <laughs> a used up man, uh, at least politically. And the, the the funny thing with Harrison, okay, the country, this is the 1840 election, so the divides that are going to cause the Civil War are definitely coming to the forefront. So the strategy for building coalition behind Harrison was they were like, okay, he's a war hero, and he stands for absolutely nothing and everything and anything. And they basically said, don't say too much about policy. And he said, okay, and he got elected on a platform of I'm an old war hero and I lived in a log cabin and grew up drinking hard cider, none of which was actually, although the war hero part was true, the rest was a complete lie, but uh, it got him elected and then he died. So well. anyway, interesting book, a, a pretty quick read and, and a, a lively history of something that's more fun than it sounds. <laughs> All right. 
So, did that, and kind of across the universe from that, The Storyteller by Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters frontman, dead ringer for my friend Andy. <laughs> I like to say it that way, not the other way around. <laughs> you made me listen to some of this in the car yesterday. Sins for which I will never be forgiven. Not <laughs> that the book wasn't good, just yeah, that you don't do that. I don't do audiobooks, and I really thought that you were playing me just this little bitty part about um, when Paul McCartney came to his house and instead you played me the whole chapter and it took It's like a 20 minute minutes chapter, minutes okay? Read. It's really not that long. But, but here's my point in telling this. I don't listen to audiobooks because I have a really hard time keeping my mind on what's going on while I'm listening. My mind shoots off in a million different directions and then I lose the thread of what's going on. It's different from a conversation, of course, because, you know, with a conversation, you could ask questions and make sure you're hanging on to it. I can't, I just, the listening thing, it's not, I don't like it as well. Yeah. Um, but this held my attention. And it was a really poignant, well-written book. The story was fabulous. Mm -hmm. And I like I requested it from the library, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I, I want to read this. I went in with kind of middling expectations. I mean, I like Dave Grohl. I'm not a huge Foo Fighters fan. I'm not a huge Nirvana fan. I knew him. I knew some of his music. But he always just seemed like a really decent, genuine dude. And absolutely nothing in this book to dispel that. He reads the audiobook himself, which mm -hmm. I'm always a fan of. Which I think um, that was part of what made it easier to listen to. Yeah, also. yeah, it felt it felt genuine and mm -hmm. just so many good stories in a fairly short book. But um, you, you really, you know, since the last thing I talked about was presidential campaigns, they always say they really stem largely from likability. People vote for who they would have a beer with, and I think Dave Grohl might run for president based <laughs> off that because he's just. Oh. You know, I can't. I can't do the whole celebrity running. No, anymore, no, I, and he would not. Okay. Although the Thank irony you. is, his father actually uh, worked in the political arena, but not his thing. And he would be the first to tell you that several times in his book, in fact. <laughs> uh, but but just a million great stories about music, about growing up, and how he got where he got, which is a phenomenal set of stories. And I think my favorite was his chapter on, on like encountering other rock musicians who he held in high regard, uh, just because, you know, fanboy Dave Grohl like came through a little bit and that was really cool to, <laughs> to realize that he's, he's got those same people that we've all got who it's like, holy crap, Paul McCartney came to my house. <laughs> that was, it was a fabulous story and I'm really looking forward to reading the book. Yeah. So I, I recommend that one, that, that one. You know, in the upper quadrant of my 2021 books, it, it might sneak into that top 10 that we try to do at the end of the year. Who knows? Uh, and then my other one was our shared read. Which we'll come back we'll to in a minute. We'll talk about, yeah, once we catch up with you. Okay, so I continued my theme from two weeks ago where Christmas is approaching and I have apparently decided to read as many Christmas books as I possibly can um, before Christmas gets here. I said last time, it's kind of my Hallmark movies. They're light. They're fluffy. You know how they're going to end. They make me incredibly happy. The first one that I read was A Season for Second Chances by Jenny Bayless. She wrote another book that came out, I think, last winter. That was the first one of hers that I read. Something about the 12 dates of Christmas, maybe. I 
feel like that vaguely yeah. echoes chimes for me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I enjoyed that book, so I got this one as well. Um, just a fun holiday kind of read. Same sort of deal with The Christmas Bookshop by Jenny Colgan, which was n- her newest one, I guess, just came out a few weeks ago. I've read a lot of Jenny Colgan books because whatever season that she writes about, um, her stories are going to be set in a cafe or a bookshop or by the sea, and they're just really fun locations um, in England or France or just somewhere abroad. And um, again, I'm not going to say they all follow a typical pattern because I actually really enjoy her books. They're just fun. The characters are um, interesting to me. Again, you always know how they're going to end, but I find that comforting. Like, that's the reason that I pick up this oh, kind yeah, of book. Sure. Um, I, I really, really, Jenny Colgan is one of my favorite writers who writes this kind of thing. And then the last one was The Santa Suit by Mary Kate Andrews. Just finished that a couple of days ago. And um, Mary Kate Andrews is an incredibly prolific and popular writer. I think this was the first book of hers that I had ever read. And I picked it up because of its um, Christmas connections here. So are you telling me that I need to just like write my next sports book and somehow throw Santa Christmas Yule tidings into the title and just see if I can hook some people erroneously into buying it? Do you know how I got so excited right now when you suggested that? Like I'm seeing all the possibilities for you. They're going to be very bitter when they actually read. They probably are anyway. No way. Your books are always excellent. Okay. So those were um, the lighter books that I chose just for lots of fun reading. Yeah. Yeah. And and I do want to say no no judgment on content, but... You know, you sit here, you've got a written list. I usually have out apps and I'm looking at, at the, you know, if I read it on Kindle or something right, like right. that. And I go down through your list and it's like Christmas book, Christmas book. And then my eyes stumbled over this next one, which is <laughs> Dear White Peacemaker. And I'm like, I'm dreaming of a white peacemaker. No, like, no wait a, a minute. Hold on. <laughs> Wrong genre. This book is by Oshada Moore and it is um, an anti-racism book. She writes to... Um, white people who are trying to figure out how to fit into the anti-racism movement and do work to help end racism, starting out in our own hearts and then moving out beyond that to work with, work against the systemic racism in the country. I don't want to say I enjoyed this book because it's a book that's designed to make you uncomfortable, but the author wrote with a lot of compassion and love for you um, and a lot of empathy for the discomfort that you would feel while reading it. So you you kind of felt while you were reading this book like you were being supported by a friend, mm-hmm. like you were you were learning from someone very wise who also wanted to hold your hand. Um, I, I, I would recommend it. It's it's a really um, important book. She had important things to say about moving toward ending racism. And I, and again, I really liked. The idea we first end it within us. Well, so. it's it's such a hard thing, and you've read several books along these lines, and I've read some too. And and the the thing is that move, I think particularly for this generation, it's such a like social media saturation point where you're like, oh, I'm gonna post this meme, and it tells everybody that, you know, I love minority people, or I'm against this, or I'm for that. And it's like, no, no, actually doing things in the world. Uh, showing love or support for fellow sufferers. That's really how you tell people what you're about. Uh, social media is a, a nice tool to 
hit a button and, and be caustic and flippant toward the world. But it's like, where, where does it go? Where does it really manifest itself? Yeah, it's, it's important. And it's important to start that with your reflection and um, recognition of where you mess it up. Because we do all want to be like, oh, I'm not like that. I don't do those things. Those people who do yeah. that, yeah. We all do. Right. Um, and then the last book that I read is probably one of my favorite books of the entire year. And it is called These Precious Days by Ann Patchett. I always like to say I really, really enjoy Ann Patchett's fiction. Um, Bel Canto, Knock You on Your Sock. I, yeah. like, that's not even the right phrase, but I mean, it would just knock you over. It's great. <laughs> um, I loved her book. Um, oh, gosh, both of her new ones. I really liked Commonwealth even more than The Dutch House. And she's just a fabulous fiction writer. But for me, it's her nonfiction. I love her nonfiction. When her book, um, This is the Story of a Happy Marriage, which was her first essay collection. I remember collection. you reading some of that yeah. with me. Yeah. It came out, and I bought a signed copy of it from Parnassus Books, which is her bookstore in Nashville. Yeah, she co-owns, right? At the same time that I bought a signed copy from them, too, I guess, of Pat Conroy's latest book. I think that was The Death of Santini. Mm -hmm. They both showed up at my house on the same day, like, together, and it was... It's still one of the like I can remember yeah. how happy I was. Well, and, and and want to give the book sh bookstore credit generally, but also to people who don't happen to be near Nashville as we are. Um, you can buy all this stuff online. It's Parnassus Books, and they will send you a blue million different signed books. It's oh, a really amazing. cool thing if yeah. that's that's one of your things. But I got not that, too late for Christmas. That's true. I got that book um, and read it and just fell in love with her nonfiction writing. Um, she was a nonfiction writer for a long time before she published a novel. She wrote for like bridal magazines and 17 and things like that and just really kind of honed her voice. Um, and her essays are um, just really honest, really funny often, um, very poignant. She does not um, pretend to be anything that she's not. She's very honest and unflinching in the way that she looks at herself and then in the way that that self plays out against the world. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times I've read This is the Story of a Happy Marriage, frankly. It was yeah. amazing. I also loved her memoir, um, Truth and Beauty. I think that's right. It may be Beauty and Truth. I can't see it from the shelf over here. But it's the story of her friendship um, with Lucy, another writer, whom she met at Iowa um, at the writer's workshop that they both yeah, attended. Right. And then their lifelong friendship. And uh, that's another book. I don't know how many times I've read it. It's just absolutely gorgeous and painful yeah. and beautiful all at once. So um, actually, These Precious Days is a book that I I had on my, um, I had asked you, like I, you, we always give each other a list of books that we want for Christmas. And this was one of the ones that I wanted, yeah. but I saw it at the library and I went ahead and got it. And, and you don't it. regret it because you I read don't. it and you'll read it again. Yeah. I still hope that you get it for me for Christmas because <laughs> it will be another book that I read again and again and again. This book, this is the story of a happy marriage centered a lot on her, um, figuring out how to be in relationship with the man that she eventually married. This book, These Precious Days, is an older person's book. Well, it's a pandemic book in part. Well, that, she, she wrote it during the pandemic. Yeah. But it's an older person's book looking at like what's, what's going to matter in your life mm -hmm. and how to kind of live in the days that we're in now. And it's, it's fabulous. It, as always, her, she writes at least once about writing in the book. But she writes a lot about the important people in her life. And I read this book. I mean, you've published books, but I, I love writing too. And I read books like this just 
like thinking about how would I do it? What oh, would if, I have to if, say? She about makes it, it seem so effortless. You read a couple of these essays to me, and, and yeah, if anything, I'm with you. I think her nonfiction narrative voice is even more just smooth and, and honey edged than, than her fiction one, which, mm-hmm. you know, Bel Canto, great, great, great novel. Yeah. Uh, but special lady, uh, I know you're always excited for anything she's got. I may have to check this one out. I mean, again, you read me. I know at least two essays, the one about organization and then the one about her friend, the the priest. Mm-hmm. Um, those are both awesome. So I may have to bite the bullet and read the whole thing. I would advise you to. And all this talk of nonfiction leads us into the shared book that we're talking about this week, which is another book of essays. Mm-hmm. It is by Pat Conroy. Um, and it is called Low Country Heart, Reflections on a Writing Life. And I have to point out the circular nature of this here and that one of these essays is actually to slash about and patch it. So <laughs> funny small world, but that's in there. The, the other circular time that came up, uh, I believe last podcast, I talked about the biography I read of Little Richard. And in Dave Grohl's book, he has the part where he's talking about all the celebrities. And the first one, he's like, the guy I wanted to meet most was, of course... You know it, Little Richard. All right. Isn't it funny how all of this stuff like winds back on itself at some point? But but Conroy. Tell us some more about Low Country Heart. Conroy is such a lodestar. I mean, he touches everything. Well, this book was written. This book was not written. This book was put together after his death. Yeah, yeah. It's not intended as a book. A lot of it was his his blog. He I remember contemporaneously reading his blog, which he very reluctantly was dragged into and posted <laughs> these great stories. The one about his. Uh, I guess we would say his physical therapist, uh, who, who's his Asian lady, who he kind of, is, you know, is teaching English while she, as he would put it, tortures him uh, on every visit. I, I remember just like cracking up reading this, you know, on a computer screen. And it's cool to have it in print. Yeah. Uh, but what really comes through is just the breadth of, of who he was. I mean, as a, as a writer, you know, he, he could, much like Ann Patchett, he could, he could take it first person or he could go... You know, he could bring you into ostensibly fictional worlds. They they tended to be very real. I mean, he he was a Citadel guy, and he wrote about military academies. He uh, he was a Southerner, and he wrote about the South. Uh, Prince of Tides is still my favorite, and then always probably will be. He was a son, and he wrote about his parents. Oh yes, absolutely. He wrote about. He could never escape his family. They were both his greatest subject, and the thing that that. Probably broke his heart and nearly drove him mad, um, which that, that's love, isn't it? I mean, uh, so, so rich uh, of a collection of work in, in this book and just throughout his, his life. Uh, and, and it is interesting, some of the last parts of this aren't him. Uh, it's, it's stuff that's after he passed, his eulogy, uh, the eulogy for him, I, I mean, right. is in here. A last letter from his good friend Bernie Shine, who, if you read anything of Pat Conroy, you feel like you know Bernie <laughs> Shine about as well as you knew Pat Conroy. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. Rick Bragg sent him something, and I, I remember seeing those two guys together one time, mm. uh, and, and the, the camaraderie between them was, was evident, and it was cool to see that. But uh, you know, such a such a awesome writer, and and. I'm sorry he's gone, but uh, the stories he told, uh, they're so thick and rich and dense that uh, 100 years from now, they'll still be unpacking them. 
you said last time um, that you kind of feel like it seems lately that our podcast really should just be the Pat Conroy show because we've <laughs> talked about it so much. Um, but this one in particular holds a special place because it is, again, the last that we get from him, mm-hmm. even if some of it was not new. Um, just being able to see that all together was a really special, really poignant kind of thing. It is called Reflections on a Writing Life. So it's this writer thinking about his life as a writer, but just the way he's lived his life in general. Um, Pat Conroy, I think you said this earlier too, his fiction is sublime. His nonfiction is just as good. So Mm -hmm. if you are not real sure about Pat Conroy, because um, he has a reputation as being, you know, absolutely brilliant and (laughs) overblown. Both, like you could hear reviews for him both ways. If you're not both ways, and if you're not really sure that Pat Conroy is for you, I, I think you could do worse than starting here. Yeah, yeah, and and I think knowing more about who he is as a person would probably draw you in more to uh, some of the fiction. You talked very much after you read this about um, the essay where he talked about his friend who had AIDS. Mm-hmm. And how clearly you could see the connections between that essay and then what he wrote about in South of Broad. Yeah, he, and he acknowledges within that essay that a lot of the stuff uh, here was, was stuff that he mined. So and, and his life really was what he mined for his fiction. And the, the more you know about you know his fiction, the more you know about his life and vice versa. So mm-hmm. this, again, if you've been curious about him, we have talked about him extensively. Um, It's a a good place to start. Yeah. Right there at the end. It is. And the good news is we've got our our book, uh, our joint book ready for next time. Uh, I had requested it on the uh, the audio app and I'm like 34th in line. And Julie's like, well, they might get it at the library. (laughs) And lo and behold, she was number two on the list. And now she has it and has started it. And I'm eagerly waiting for her to finish so I can dive into Welcome to Dunder Mifflin, The Ultimate Oral History of the Office, as told by the actors, writers, producers, directors, and crew, by Brian Baumgartner, a.k.a. Kevin, and Ben Silverman. If you are not an Office fan and you're rolling your eyes right now, why are you not? Watch this show. It's fabulous. Um, we, we, we've read several books about The Office, and um, we're really, really excited to talk about this one. But if you are not a fan, we will not get too technical or ridiculous with it. I think that you'll be able to listen in, whether you're really a big fan of the show or not. Um, it's an oral history. And one thing I have discovered about us over the past year is we like a good oral history. Um, I'm writing one right now. I mean, <laughs> no. this is not a surprise to me. I was like, shoot, yes, an oral history. <laughs> Pump that right into my veins. But it started for me with Daisy Jones and the Six, which is fictional. Yeah, which is not actually an oral history, but, no, it, but, but it's it written feels like one. one. Yeah. And then I've just read several more, both fiction and nonfiction, over the past year or so. And I'm reading another one now, actually. And they're wonderful. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we'll. If you're not a huge Office fan, again, we're going to talk about that kind of thing and the format and the good and the bad and all the things. I love it. I mean, having having written you know a handful of books myself in a traditional style, and the one I'm working on now is an oral history, it's both the most rewarding and the most horrifying thing in the world. I mean, you will talk to somebody for an hour, and they'll say two sentences, and you're like, that's it. That's the part that... that 
somebody's going to read and think, uh-huh, that was how it was. I remember that. Well, we're both excited to finish this one and then to share with you all in two weeks what we're thinking about it. Oh, gosh, two weeks is getting us really close to Christmas, isn't it? Yeah. All right, well. It'll be that week before. Okay. We look forward to see, to um, talking to you all then. If you have anything that you want to talk to us about, anything that you think we should be reading, any comments on this show or any of the others, you can reach us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com, on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod, and on Twitter at paybackreaderspod. You got that down. That's pretty impressive. Well, thank you. Everybody's got to have a talent. <laughs> <laughs> it's always something. Thanks for listening, and for goodness sake, keep reading.